Borak Dog Earthlets! My name is Conrad, and this is the 207th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from our weekly progs to cover the Judge Dredd Annual 1990. As always, annuals are dated for the year after they come out. This is the 10th Dread Annual and the second to last one. It features new stories from relative newcomers like Arthur Ranson and some classic Ron Smith stories as well as Ian Gibson's Daily Dreads. Price of the annual has gone up to gone up 20 pence to £3.95. But the big news is my guest for this episode, Sheridan of the Back Prog Hack Blog. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. All right, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm a I'm a big fan of your blog. Um, you, where you're um, every day you're covering a uh, a, a, a another 2000 AD uh, progs, like working your way through. It's excellent. Yeah, well, I had them all lying around the house, so I thought I might as well make use of them. Absolutely. Yeah, why not? And I, and I, and I really appreciate that that you've also covered uh, uh, Star Lord and Tornado as well. I, I I'd love to talk about those someday. Yeah, I think Tornado is probably a one that people are less familiar with. Star-Lord got reprinted, the characters most people are familiar with, Robusters and Strontium Dog. But Tornado didn't last long. No, but yeah, Wolfie Smith and, uh, and Blackhawk both had limited shelf lives, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess it's, just, it's less of a sci-fi comic as well, I guess. There's more like, I don't know, just, yeah. just random stuff happening or something like that. A lot of Victor Drago, apparently, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, like knock off the Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> so can you share your uh, your 2080 history with us? Yep. So it was a summer day. <laughs> I was eight years old. I was sitting on the front doorstep of a house, terraced houses in the north of England, kind of, Midlands. Mm-hmm. And the next door neighbor, who I think, I think she had probably had some comics left at her house when she split up with a boyfriend, <laughs> because I... So never had any sense that she read comics other than this, but she had about 10 progs. Uh, the earliest ah. one was 308, which is Gizzy's first appearance. The last mm. one was 322, so there were a few little gaps in between. Uh, and that's where it all began. Nice. I saw I saw a prog in a local shop, which was 330, Slane's first appearance. That's the first one I bought. Um, I think I got one after that, and then I got 335, which was Nemesis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Strontium Dog had returned. I think Strontium Dog returned yeah. pretty much for the first time in two years. Not that I'd have known that at the time. No, I, I I remember that one very well. Yeah, that's a big, yeah. uh, big, big, big one though in, in the early eighties for sure. Yeah, and then I didn't quite get every single week until three fifty, which was the beginning of the killing, and mm-hmm. then that was it. I've been buying it every week since then. Oh, amazing! And then about two years later. Um, I've I've got up to this point in my prog slog. About two years later, um, I was seeing the Eagle Comics reprints of Judge Dredd. So a lot of my Judge Dredd history is I, I first encountered him in those small, not brilliant reprints. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, I found my local comic shop. So I started filling in all the gaps, which probably took me about 10 years altogether. Nice. Yeah, it's such a... 
And and an interesting thing, I don't know, like um, you know, we've sort of got this archive that that we're reading through here on 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 Space Spinner, but the idea that 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 uh, you're, you're, you're sort of at the mercy of your local news agent and what like you know collections you're able to find is such an interesting thing for 2000 AD because there's so there's so many issues that it seems yeah. easy for ones to kind of fall through the cracks or something like that. And because I was starting at 3:30 roughly, mm-hmm. uh, I only had 300 to collect. Uh, now there's what yeah, 2,700. <laughs> Almost twenty two hundred, I think, literally. Yeah. But yeah, though, like you know, and that's so, not include that's not including a magazine as well. Yeah, not including the magazine, not including any annuals and specials and other things like that. Did you read the annuals when you were growing up? Did you get the first these ones things? I got were nineteen eighty five. So that was uh, Judge Dredd and two thousand eighty annuals, nineteen eighty five. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judge Dredd annuals, I think, have always been good right from the very first one. 2080 annuals when I started getting the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1985 was the first one I actually really like everything about it. The ones before that, uh, it just seems like a lot of filler to me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the uh, I mean, the annuals are very hit and miss, I think. Like the early yeah. ones are, are, are not that great for sure. And like you said, yeah, I think those those first red ones are really good. Like, I mean, Steve McManus talks about that, that, that being a real focus of his of trying to make them really good. Yeah. Um, well, I, I read we- his book, and yeah, it does yeah. say that he did have to fight with management to get the budget to get Judge Red being good. And yeah. not so much. <laughs> well, yeah, because they're you know they. My understanding is that these annuals are ju- are just seen as cash grabs. Basically, they're just sort of money to make for the Christmas season or whatever. So yeah, they're being bought by Largely, parents who don't know the uh, who don't know what they're getting in the first place. You know exactly what I was going to say. Because the weekly is, well, how much is the weekly at the moment around about this time? Would be um, about 20 uh, or 30p. Uh, 30, yeah. Yeah. So that is something that people buy with their own pocket money. Uh, the annuals, they're always going to be a present. So the person who doesn't actually read it buys it. So it doesn't <laughs> have to be so good. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know we we've definitely seen some some variety as the as the years have gone. But I think actually last year I thought the 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 2080 annual was a little better than the dread annual for once. But like it's very um or that's in the uh in for the 89 sequence I guess. But um you know they are so, like there 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 is a lot of a uh, variance in 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 quality for sure. Um, so is so you said you read a. When you were kids, is the one you're you're working off of now your original copy from 1989? Yep. Oh yeah, all that's of awesome. Ones I have the originals that I had from '85 onwards. That's amazing. That's a, that's excellent. I love when it's uh yeah when it's part of someone's like long term collection. That's great. I sort of I bought ones off eBay and stuff like that, which are sort of you know are fine but lack that um emotional connection or something yep. like that. <laughs> yep. Cool. So. I think we can jump in. Um, I so as we're recording this now on your on your blog, you're you're just entering 1982 and sort of steaming yep. ahead. I really, yep. you know, I I, I and and uh, I really remember that era as being the start of this sort of golden period for 2000 AD. You know, when everything's firing on all cylinders, and you've got yeah, like the the, the apocalypse wars running. All the rest of the stories are real fun. Like it's just a good yep. a great time. So for me, I I think that the point at which I started buying it is the best part. Mm-hmm. 
you know, probably a bit of a nostalgia, but yeah, maybe I think because it's actually good as well. But anything up to that, I think for the last hundred and something progs, mm-hmm. it has it's been most of the elements are in place now, so I can enjoy them on their own terms. Yeah, you know, I've got to make a confession. But first couple of years of 2008, there's quite a lot of stuff I don't like. <laughs> no, that's fair. Yeah, it's yeah. because it's it's for groundwork for things that came later. But I can still appreciate what's in there, but on its own, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think there are a lot of parts where it's still finding its feet, like 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 for a fair amount of time actually, where it's still sort of figuring out like like what's a good thrill and how thing how stories are supposed to work and things yeah. like that, you know. It's definitely that era where you've got your uh, your death planets and your Rick Randoms and so forth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So hopefully, hope things not too bad. Let's get into the into the annual here. Have a good time. Um, so just to give you some context, uh, last, epi- our last episode, we, we, we got to Prague 644. So Anderson just finished investigating the triad and, you know, uh, Sov Judge Orlock's gotten away again. That slippery bastard. Um, Dread is tracking Maria in Cardboard City. And both uh, Mean Team and Moonrunners have flown off into the space sunset, never to be seen again. Um, so, Have you found out oh, that Maria isn't Italian yet? I don't... <sighs> I feel like that might be in the next issue, like in 645. Or if it's not, then it might even just be – that might even be like in the magazine or something. Like yeah. That, almost, like way in the future. Um, the, the, the the shocking Maria facts yeah. or something like that. But, you know, I mean, I feel like of the mega city subcultures we, we've seen, like compared to like being a fatty or, a, uh, or, or an ugly or something, like <laughs> – Fake Italian sort of sort of pales in comparison, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So um we start with the cover. It's an extreme close-up of dread by John Higgins, an officer you can't refuse. Um and I sort of noticed that the uh, that the that the face in the J in Judge Dredd's uh, way more pronounced in this cover than it is normally, I think. Um and the back cover of this has the same image with a uh, w- with a UPC code because we've started having the number of the beast attached to uh, yes. all these uh, 2000 AD products. Um, the inside cover has got a blank page and a table of – or it has a, uh, has a blank badge and a table of contents, which is kind of a letdown after some cool inside covers we've had in recent uh, recent times. Yeah. Some of the ones we've had before, much better than this. Absolutely. Yeah, there's been like we, – we've had some weird um, like Kev O'Neill cyber dudes. Um, I think in the special – in the uh, in, 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 in the Dread special, we had a pretty good um, like just, just Dread looking over a, uh, over a cityscape and stuff. It was been, it's been pretty good, but sort of, you know, this one, we're just keeping it simple. And speaking of keeping it simple, let's – or I don't know, or of avoiding weird stunts, let's go to Thrill One, the Stunning Stunts Club. So, script now, Have you heard of a Kenny Everett character called um, – let me think about this and pronounce it really carefully – Cupid Stunts? I have now, actually. Yeah, I, I heard about it on the uh, on our coverage of the of the uh, 2000 AD uh, sci-fi special this year. Pete yeah. Wells told me all about it. About uh, oh, yeah, he would, wouldn't he? Yeah, his uh, yeah, Kenny Everett's uh, ditzy starlet character. Yeah, he yeah he he told me about uh, uh, Kenny Everett's uh, 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 ditzy um, ditzy starlet character. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So stunning stunts club. I kept thinking. 
Keep oh, it of stunts. course. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so script robot for this one, uh, Alan Grant, art robot Mark Farmer, letter robots listed as Dick, which I'm not sure about. Um, <laughs> it's a rare- I don't know it's who a, that's going to be. Yeah, it's weird. Um, this annual has a lot of sort of non, non-regular lettering in, in, in the new stuff. Definitely not uh, Tom Frame listed. I um, hadn't noticed that, but yeah, there's Stella later on. Working yeah, back a, yeah, with Stella, there's Blop, or is it Slop? Yep, there's Slop. Yeah. And uh, and then a uh, Gordon Robson does the uh, does the Dungeon Master story. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's it's a weird thing. I think last year we had, or yeah, in the previous uh, annual there was, um, it specifically like the letterer was listed as like not Tom Frame or something like that. Yeah, you know? he's not doing this annual work. Um, so rare solo art by by Mark Farmer here. We've mostly seen him doing inks in stories. He inked like the taxidermist, uh, Dr. and Quintus Agony page, and the slain story of Spoils of a Noon. Yep. So we see uh, Johnny Anonymous of the uh, Pirate Vid Station Shark, which because I just did the uh, our uh, Prog One Redux, I know that's also the name of a high gravity craft in the early episodes of Dan Dare. Like a weird cover, uh, crossover here. But he's hosting a new edition of the Stunning Stunts Club. Um, and he's on the top of the shooter tower, uh, 2,000 meter up with stunter Mr. X. They're both looking very superhero, uh, a superhero-like here, which kind of makes sense because I know Mark Farmer at this point is working on superhero comics. Um, and Mr. X does goes his stunt. Basically, for uh, for George Mallory reason, i.e., um, he says nothing to do better as a version of it because it's there. Mister X jumps off the roof as Dread in a hover car of some kind drives to catch him, and as Johnny Anonymous follows Mister X on jetpack, it looks like uh, Mister X is bungee jumping. They call it a bungee jumping, I guess, or or that's they spell it. I think it's still early yeah. days for for. I bungee don't think jumping. it was it's well known in this country by then. So yeah, definitely might not have been obvious. Yeah, I think in in '89, it's still, I, you know, in America too, it's still sort of entering the, the public consciousness. Um, but apparently, Creep's been doing this all over the city, and Dread is tired of it. <laughs> tired of these stunts. <laughs> Dread almost grabs Mister X when his cord retracts and he goes shooting upwards. The judges start doing advanced parabolic maths as Mister X reaches the apex of his rebound and cuts his bungee cord and begins to free, a freefall descent. The text figure he's shooting to land in the swimming pool at the Matt Biondi Mall, and Matt Biondi's a, a U.S. Uh, gold medal swimming, uh, gold medal, gold medal winning swimmer, I should say. Um, <laughs> Dread gets on the horn to the manager of the mall as Exit Anonymous. They're feeling good. They feel like we're, we're going to do this stunt. St- it's almost done. But then. They just they as they're falling, they have just enough time to see that the bad weather dome of the mall has been closed, and they smack right into it and get smushed. Oh no! <laughs> Soon, Dread and the tech judge are checking are checking the corpses. In this city, only judges get to pulse the stunning stunts. <laughs> just some fun. Uh, again, like like life in Mega City One stuff. People flying all over the place, and Dread trying uh, trying desperately to stop them. You know. Yep. Absolutely. So let's move on to um, – uh, speaking of less stunning parts of the annual, <laughs> let's go to um, Thrill 2, Profile Mark Farmer, Roll on Justice, and Profile Ron Smith. So. Well, Ron Smith's a better one. Uh, oh, yeah. Two. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not imputing actual the the actual uh, 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 writers here. Just the concept of having these profiles, I guess. Um, yeah. So we enter this hearty filler chunk of the annual. Um, we've seen these top ten lists in, uh, in 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 previous annuals, and we start with one for for Art Droid Mark Farmer. He's got some eclectic tastes, I'd say. He's got like a sci-fi noir trouble in mind as his top movie. And Will by G. Gordon Liddy is a top book, one of the uh, Watergate conspirators. Conspirators. His uh, his favorite comic is the uh, is introduction of the Inhumans in Fantastic Four and uh, gives the start of Frank Miller's run on Daredevil and the P. Craig Russell heavy uh, Doctor Strange annual one as uh, top spots in comics as well. Yeah, he definitely likes his superhero stuff in there. Yeah, definitely. It's a very, very superhero-y um, uh, top comics list in comparison to a lot of the other folks that we'll see. I it's hadn't annual. heard of Trouble in Mind, so you said that's a sci-fi noir film. Yeah, film, it's it? like I, – I haven't seen it, but I, but, but I want to just because it seems like the way they descri- – like the way it's described in, in, in Wikipedia makes it sound like this really weird like – mid 70s like like us like like sci-fi kind of thing it's it's, it's like clute but in the, in the future or something yep so it's very i don't know it's it's one of these things where it's like um yeah i try mid 80s not mid 70s but still starring chris christopherson and stuff like that so it's ah, like a, I see. Yeah. it's like a uh it 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 feels like something I'm not expecting from a sci-fi movie, so I I I, I want to check it out just because it seems like an odd uh, mixing of genres, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm always up for eighties sci-fi. Absolutely, yeah. Listen, I got a podcast about it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we, we got a tech story called "Roll on Justice" by Ian Rimmer with illustrations by Stephen Baskerville. Uh, Rimmer will write a pair of future shocks for 2000 AD, one next episode of this podcast. And Baskerville has done some future shocks and will do some more work in the late 90s and is currently doing a bunch of uh, Transformer comics in the late 80s in this era. Um, the story is the tale of a skinny uh, mechanic named James Bond. And he, he's set to fit a, fix a lawmaster, but instead takes it for a joyride and is eventually taken out by dread. That's basically the story. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. I that thought it was name weird. Does I not have like, any payoff um, in the story. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I just found that name really distracting. So you think, yeah, why is he yeah. called James Bond? Is it going to have any effect? No. No, it's just sort of like, yeah, just sort of is whatever. Just to, like it, it's as random a name as the name of a city block or something like that, you know? Yeah. And this yeah. story, to me, this story does feel a lot like fellow, even more than some text stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's it's really weird. It's very or like I don't know. I I I think the premise is, is odd. Just the idea that there's that uh, judges are are farming out, fixing their vehicles to yeah. um, to civilians I, and things. I just do not think the Justice Department would do that. There's, yeah, I mean, there's no part of Justice Department that says, "I know, let's just hand out our vehicles to civilian engineers." Yeah, I mean, there's there there's tech judges that that presumably would do 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 some of that stuff, and just like robots and things like that. Like, I don't know. I'm surprised there there's any human mechanics in yeah in in, in Mega City One, honestly, just because that seems like such, such a robot job, I guess. Yep. But I mean, I guess on the other hand, they do buy all their pants from PJ Maybe's dad, so maybe they've got like some things to like work with the local economy or something. Yeah, that, that did cross your mind. <laughs> It's hard to tell. It's th- this future economy, I guess. Um, 
there just aren't enough stories about making city economy first to make a good informed choice about this thing. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, it is a good point. Just that the um, you know we know that almost everybody's unemployed, but it's hard to know how everybody pays for their houses and other things like that. You know, this uh, post need dystopia that comes up so often in uh, Judge Dredd stories. Yep. <laughs> so we finish up with more uh, quizzes this time from Ron Smith. Um, he's got a Christmas comedy, The Man Who Came to Dinner, is his top uh, movie. A lot of his top TV shows are sort of incomprehensible British ones to me, <laughs> or, or British ones yep, that I'm so like, oh, two Ronnie's. Well, I think I've heard of that. One is a once. documentary series. I think that's a David Attenborough thing. Mm -hmm. So I think David Attenborough is internationally famous now, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Blue Planet and all that. Um, don't know what Flight of the Condor is. So Deathless Dupart is a comedy about a racist <laughs> but some people don't get that the person who played him is jewish so it's kind mm. of informed racism yeah. and commentary uh comedy alas smith and jones not alias smith and jones so alias smith ah, and jones is a western alas smith and jones is a comedy mm -hmm. and it's just sketch comedy it's nothing to do with westerns time watch is uh documentaries again World in Action documentaries, Two Ronnies is comedy, Everyman is documentary, and The Muppets is documentary. Uh, yeah, oh, well, you know, listen, it's a, it's, a, it's a documentary that's about funny, uh, f funny puppets, so it works out, you know? Yeah, uh, it works. <laughs> I like that his top albums are, uh, are, are, are Hot Chocolate and then Iron Maiden. That's a good variance of, of, yeah. uh, of uh, songs. He does have wide tastes on music. Well, I wonder if, if, if some of the heavy metal stuff is because Ron Smith, I, I know, did a bunch of album covers for different um, like rock bands and things like that in this era. Um, yeah, I have seen a few of his covers at uh, uh, Exhibition, uh, Orbital Comics in London. So I know that he's quite varied on that. Absolutely. And then I appreciate that um, the end of his top comics list, you've got like Judge Dredd, 2000 AD, and Wildcat. He's not afraid to list comics he's worked on as his favorite okay. comics. You know. Always yeah. good to have some self-aggrandizement in there for sure. Yep. And cars I have no interest in, so I don't know what kind of spread of cars that is. I think I recognize a couple of sports cars. Yeah, that's the that that's the one I skip over the most, I must say, because yeah, it's one that I'm sort of I'm positive that if you sort of know what you're talk know what you're looking for, there's like some jokes or other things like that mixed in there, but it, it's it's all Greek to me, basically. I sort of like, okay, yeah. you know. Um, but hey, speaking of Ron Smith, let's go to Thrill 3, Error of Judgment. So script about John Wagner, Alan Grant is T.B. Grover. Art about Ron Smith, letter about Tom Frame. This is the start of the reprint section of this annual. Uh, everything in this annual comes from Prague's 387 to uh, 390, which we covered in episode 121. But they're out of order. Oh, man. Yeah, it starts off by referring to things that happened in a later episode in this reprint. Yeah, they've got a real uh, time jump in the middle of this thing. It's weird. Um, that said, I'm not too bummed about it just because this is one of my favorite uh, sequences of, of, of Judge Dredd. I'm a big fan of this section of these uh, three stories for sure. So uh, Judge Dr so Dredd is, is standing before the chief judge, in this case still a judge uh, Chief Judge Magruder. He's in trouble because he punched another judge in the face. And this is Judge Winslow, who we'll recall as the uh, penny pinching administrative judge from the uh, from, from the Judge Child Quest, like like right at the start and the and at, at the end of it. 
But the story goes like this. Um, while investigating a case in a ki- of a kid's stolen rat, Dredd meets the Crickle family. Their daughter, their daughter Bonnie, is a brain and a robot kid after she fell in a chem pit and lost her body. Her brain's kind of damaged, though. She's not really her old self. She's of mice and mend, that pet rat, which is a bummer. <laughs> uh, Dredd uses his discretion to pay for rehab for Bonnie's brain, though, of over 100,000 credits. The treatment works and things all seem well, but then tragedy strikes again as the referred robot Bonnie gets rejected by the jerk kids of her block, and she runs away right into the street and the path of an oncoming truck. She gets smushed, and that's why you always follow the Green Cross Code. (laughs) (laughs) Bonnie's dead for real, and then uh, Judge Winslow, the bean pusher, comes after Dredd for the expense, and in frustration about it, Dredd punches him in the face. Dredd's got no excuse, but the chief lets him off with, an, uh, with a warning officially, but says, you know, obviously, judges punching each other for whatever reason is unacceptable. Between this and the conversation he had with Morph, which we haven't seen yet, actually, she's worried about his mental state, so she sends him to a psych eval, which we'll see later in this annual. Yeah, so for me, this appeared roughly about a year after I started reading 2018. Mm-hmm. So if you'd been reading for seven years... This really changes what you've the kind of uh, viewpoint that you've had of Judge Fred and Magazine One, but for me, this is just part of the basis. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That it's like sort of these second thoughts or these sort of like the, this concern for the people of the city is is a is a is a, is, a, is now a baseline part of his character instead of sort of an evolution of his character. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember for for us when we first read this one, it did feel like um, be- between this and the and the earlier morph conversation, which we'll get to, that it felt like Dread was starting to have some doubts about things and sort of having you know things were sort of changing for him, which is a we- which is an, a, a very interesting development for the character who'd been sort of so um, stony faced and unchanging up until this point. Yeah. That's interesting stuff for sure. Yeah, and we'll get to this psych eval later. But first, let's go to Thrill 4, A Star is Born, and Vigilante. Uh, script robot John Wagner Grant, art robot Ian Gibson. No letter, letter robot listed, but yeah, it's Daily Star time. <laughs> yep, so I bullied my dad into getting Daily Star, so I read a lot of this for days, but it was... Originally run in a newspaper, even though it's not the yeah. kind of newspaper we'd normally get. Oh, you you got him to get the newspaper just for the uh, for, for, for the dread strips. Judge Dread, yep. That's amazing. Thanks, Dad. I'm sure they were very grateful as well. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome, though. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we get uh, a brief introduction of the Daily Star strips with a uh, with a Judge Dread profile with with a, with a picture of Judge Dread in profile that I'm not actually familiar with. It's got a lot of stubble, which is kind of weird. Like he's Dread's got to shave a little bit better here. But usually they reuse art, but this feels like a new one or something to me. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's by the same guy who did a um, did a roll on justice artwork. Ah, uh, um, Baskerville. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's that kind of shiny, mm-hmm. uh, glossy kind of art style. Yeah, yeah, definitely could be. Now that I'm looking at it. Um, so we st- yeah. So um, these comic strips ran from March to June of 1987. We've sort of we've seen actually a pretty good amount of the daily of, of the daily star stri- of these daily daily star strips <laughs> in the course of the prog and annuals and specials and things like that. They sort of just put like you know several several months worth of these uh, comics in there just to take up space, basically even in the prog. Um, yeah, I think in the prog so- it's probably. Um- 
fitting in when artwork doesn't arrive something they had actually planned to run yeah yeah we we had them mostly in this sort of like late late 88 early 89 period where they were really struggling to um to have sort of regular features and stuff like that these were sort of months where there'd be two future shocks and a pro like like two future shocks and a daily dread in the prog or something like that like sort of yeah. the, uh they were having like brain drain uh, uh, problems and they were just sort of really low on content. And we sort of seen that being fixed in 89 now with the hiring of more new writers and sort of things, you know, the, the upping of pay grades as well and things like that. Yeah. Um, so we see a man in a cape at the Mega City One Museum of Death. He's gathered a bunch of crooks in the Hall of Horrors and is monologuing while executing them. He actually does it while monologuing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, he electric chairs one, guillotines another, and iron maidens a third. Just as this, uh, as the final victim recognizes who the, the recognizes the secret identity of the vigilante. <laughs> the next day, Dread makes puns as he investigates the scene. It seems all the victims were members of the Juve gang, the Scorps. To get more info, Dread heads to the Atlas Street Juve Rehab, where uh, with two other judges, and arrives to find just in time to find a huge mid-air jet ball fight. Um, he talks to uh, Chief Counselor Williams, um, just sort of uh, uh, about the whole situation, um, and, th- and 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 then he questions the kids, uh, pistol whipping one, and a um, and, and arresting an apparent Scorp member that, that that gets mouthy, like what the Scorps were killed, I'll kill them, like get out of here, you're going to jail. <laughs> um, no one offers any info, so Dredd gets out the lie detectors. He questions all the kids, including a very Hitlery one, but doesn't get anything from them. So it's time for the heavy interrogations. That night, we see a pair of piranha gang members walking walking down the street, and the vigilante guts guns them down in an alleyway in the Tariq Alley, which we'll see later in the uh, in the in the podcast as well. Uh, later, a call in TV shows running as a uh, as a brainiac from the Clive Sinclair block um, of a of a, a ZX eighty fame gets hung up on and a lady from the marv marv Hagler block named for marvelous marvin Hagler, uh the boxer uh as she talks about the dangers of old books in your house <laughs> fine finally though the vigilante calls in and says he's gonna take back the streets from the juve gangs because the judges have failed he calls on everybody to join him as the judges trace the call dread arrives at, at the phone booth he's using but finds it empty with a message to check the alley for the bodies of the piranhas so, so there seem to be no clues, but Dredd gets word of a figure firing into the crowd at Pyrone Tower. Uh, Dredd arrives on the scene and, oh, t- now that I'm reading it, Pyrone Tower is probably a thing to a Tyrone Power, uh, probably. Oh, yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah, that's it. Only now that I've said it out loud do I recognize it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he arrives and finds Jeeves cowering as the vigilante shoots them with a rivet gun of some kind. Um, Dredd takes the man out, but some quick questioning reveals he's just a copycat. Later, the counselor at the rehab is distraught because all five of the victims of the killing so far have been his charges. And then he gets hit by a dodgeball that's been pegged through a window right at his head. Um, and, but, 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 but keeps Dredd from arresting the perp. And then a huge uh, juve rumble waves in. The whole, like, this whole time we've seen these juves be really rough to this Williams guy. And he sort of makes excuses and tells Dredd to go easy on them and stuff like that. 
Um, Dread weight into this rumble. He takes out a whole army of Jews. It's pretty amazing. Just like big um, Ian Gibson crowd fight scenes here. Good stuff. Uh, the Jews are headed are, are headed to the cubes, and Dread's at a loose end as to what um, is at a loose ends as copycat killings start pouring in, including a lynch mob killing ten Jews just in the middle of the streets. Ridiculous. In response to that, the vigilante decides to up the ante and just starts running down a mass of Jews in a hover car, making several passes and then getting out to finish off the rest. It's like pretty, 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 honestly, pretty violent for a newspaper comic strip every day, I must say. Yeah. Um, I do wonder what the regular readers of the Daily Star made of this. Yeah, I mean, because it, I mean, I don't know, because I feel like. England's got this like action-packed daily comic like culture. Honestly, you got like like a uh, Modesty Blaze or other things like that. So I don't know. Like I, f- I feel like you like yours like uh, uh, the UK standards are different from my American ones, where <laughs> comics are either mostly like a gag a day strips or like soap op like full on soap operas, like people standing in the living room talking about who they're in love with and things like that. You know? Yeah. Like, but this has got to be, this has got to be pretty, pretty, pretty violent for just while you're in on the tube in the morning or, or, or a drink of your morning tea or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dredd goes to investigate and it seems um, – because cause he, he got some information from Williams to, to check, but those names were all uh, no-goes. But it hits Dredd. Like, what if Williams has something to do with all this? Um. It sees most of the cities in favor of the vigilante as Dredd arrives at the Mick McMahon block. All right. <laughs> to talk to uh, William's mother. He seems to think that maybe the vigilante is trying to get at Williams by killing his charges. But his mom says that he hates those kids. Dredd searches William's rooms and finds the dang vigilante mask under his pillow. I think we've got it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dread puts out an APB, and it's actually a pretty cool sequence here as, like, the eyes of Mega City 1 start opening to find Williams. Like, let, like you know, everyone's – all these judges are on alert looking for him. And he said, looks like he's about to hit the Juve Bop. Oh, no. Um, he he fires into the crowd of dancing Juves, killing dozens as Dread arrives and shoots, and shoots Williams to make him drop his gun. William tries to explain that the Juves forced him to do it, but Dread is – Dread ain't hearing it. He has to make an example of Williams because I can't let vigilanteism run amok in Mega City 1. He has the counselor pick his gun up and then the lawman shoots him in cold blood. Illegal execution! Which yep. is also pretty rough for the comics pages, I must say. Um, <laughs> videos of the killing are soon edited and distributed to the people of Mega City 1, basically making the vigilante look, look like a coward and, uh, d- and discouraging any and all vigilanteism. There's only one law in this city. I am the law. Which must be why he's free to make it up as he goes along. I guess so. Like this is a lot, right? Right at the end of a uh, of a of a daily of a comic strip story of yeah. like like kind of like uh yeah cold blooded executions and uh, disinformation campaigns and stuff like that. Like it kind of it kind of comes out of nowhere in the course of this of this story. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> Um, but I do like the the continued like heavy anti vigilanteism stance of, uh, of of the Justice Department, you know, because it's so different yeah. from from superhero comics, of course, where cops are just kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do about these vigilantes. Like Dredd's got very 
very specific answers in terms of what to he do with these vigilantes. Yeah, exactly. Just keep shooting them. Never stop. <laughs> yeah, it's only a couple of years till you get to Batman versus Judge Dredd. Yeah. Oh, man, that uh, great Simon Bisley um, um, crossover thing. And, and we've already got the uh, fairly hyper man where he, where he kills super, uh, uh, Superman. There's that... Um, is scare a vigilante story where um, it's it, it's like a lady killing her husband's murderers oh, and yes. stuff. That's yeah. a, that that's a classic. Um, and I guess uh, Dupree is it or Dupree? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that that, that, that that's right. Yeah, that's a ah oh, good one. Jump yeah. kicking these mafia guys off the side of the building. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So I like um, Duke Gangs in Mega City One because they've I- always got a theme. Yeah, absolutely. It's all just um, like West Side Story, like uh, blown yeah. up to a thousand. They've all got names and like uh, cool jackets, you know. I imagine yeah. a lot of like like syncopated snapping as they go everywhere, you know. Um, because <laughs> this like one's that. by Ian Gibson, it's like Rumble in the Jungle from the early 300s. Or, uh, or a full mental jacket a little later yeah. on. Yeah, he's he uh, like th- this feels a little bit like 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 uh, Halo Jones stuff as well, where I think Ian Gibson did just like strong space teenagers. I yep, think. <laughs> like, he's pretty good at it. Yeah, exactly. He, he he moves from strength to strength with it, you know. Um, but but it it, it it feels like he's like strong these uh these uh kids in weird fashions and things like that, and I'm I'm, I'm here for it for sure. Yeah. So but, uh, 15 pages and pretty densely told as well. Yeah. There's a lot I, of panels on a page. I mean, these, like, uh, Fox hates these de- these Daily Dread stories <laughs> just, oh. because, just because there's so much content in them. Like, you j- like every panel, because every panel is its own, um, its own little, or every, every row is its own little story. <laughs> like, they yeah. just sort of, they're just very dense, like, like way more dense than we're used to in the pages of, two, of a 2000 AD, I think. Where you can kind of have big like pages where it's just sort of a fight or something, and there's not much happening at all. You know, these ones are yeah. like, oh my gosh, there's so much. Oh. And each page in this would have taken a week to show because um, when they started off, they had a larger strip on Saturdays, mm-hmm. and then Monday to Friday they had the single uh, free panel strip. Right, yeah, they yeah they, they'd have this Ian Gibson one at the same time often as the uh, as the Ron Smith like uh, yeah. like, like like weekly ones that that we've seen earlier in the uh, in the in the episodes or yeah. or and then in, much uh, later early on, annuals and stuff. They, they dropped the larger weekend one and just had one strip or one story running six days a week. Hmm. But yeah, yeah so I'm, this I'm, fifteen pages would have taken fifteen weeks for the whole story to come out. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like we've definitely seen months and months of these uh, of these daily strips as we've gone through the uh, through through the uh, th- through their archives and stuff. Um, yeah, it's just sort of yeah, these uh, they just build up the stuff and just can have it at like like ready at a go, like a boom. Here's 15 pages. That's got to be real handy if you um, if you do need to fill out parts of a com- of a of a, of a comic book for sure. And the best part is for even people who have been reading since Prog 1, might not have these stories, might not have read them before. Yeah, so definitely. even though it is reprint, it's new reprint to most people. Yeah, it's often new to you, absolutely, for sure. Yeah. And I guess let's go to another actually new story with Thrill 5, The Dungeon Master. A script about John Wagner, art about Arthur Ranson, language about Gordon Robson as a kid. Oh, man, I love Arthur Ranson. He's just... We're, we've just finished his first work in the Prague, the Anderson story uh, triad, but 
getting a chance to see this big color story by him in the early days is, is really a treat. Um, although I don't know, I can't tell if his, uh, if his realistic style here makes these judge uniforms look either more natural or kind of silly, I guess. It's sort of a balancing act. Yeah. Uh, so Dredd gets an anonymous letter in ransom note font, or I guess cut for magazines or something like that. Um, inside a note says, guess who? And a bloodstain. Dredd has the blood analyzed and it belongs to uh, David Harcourt of Lux Apt 12. He's 16 years old and rich, so Dredd rides out to investigate. Or I guess he just rides out to investigate anyway. Um, it seems some perps are holding young David for ransom, but have accidentally killed his father in the process. Like Dredd comes across his, old, his uh, dead body as he comes in. Um, yeah, sorry. Dredd, uh, yeah, he, he investigates, he finds uh, a, a man in a pool of blood grabbing a table. I like, guess the phone rings and yeah, he answers it and hears these guys holding David for ransom. They're still going for ransom, but Dredd's like, listen, like I don't pay ransoms. I'm Judge Dredd, you know, <laughs> shouldn't have killed his dad. He's the one who'd pay. Um, but um, anyway, Dredd just, uh, and so Dredd calls for the judges and starts investigating here. They talk to David's aunt and learns that he was really into role games, which is some kind of RPG thing, I guess. And then they head down to the, the lab where they've isolated some background noises and uses it to pinpoint the location of the kidnappers from a train announcement. Um, Dredd arrives and finds the uh, – fa- and while he's looking around, finds the Fantastic Voyage Roll Game Center and decides to check it out. Inside, he finds blood, and the kidnappers see him on the security screens. There's only one thing to do, and that's to uh, turn on the game system and try to uh, shoot Dredd in the process. You know, getting killed by holographic game systems. He's being danger-roomed in here, I guess. (laughs) Or maybe uh, uh, mazes and monstered, I guess, um, as, as well. Um, blah, blah, blah. So uh, uh, suddenly, yeah, the uh, the portcullis of the of the of, of the uh, of the things uh, drop behind Dread, and a holographic dungeon master appears. It's a laser image, offers adventures and a chance for fortune, etc. It's got a very um, <laughs> like I don't know, like I'm not quite sure what D and D is, but I've heard some terms, sort of sense of role playing games, I think. Yeah, I'm not thinking John Wagner's ever played a role-playing game. No, this is very like whenever whenever the dungeon mat like I don't know. I've I've played a lot of D and D. Big shock. Um, and whenever the dungeon master, whenever a dungeon master appears in one of these things, I'm like, oh yes, like you don't you aren't actually familiar with how these things go. No, <laughs> including the D and D cartoon. Yeah, d- yeah. That, that's not like the average game of D and D I've ever played. No, yeah, it's never, never an, an incarnate dungeon master just showing up and causing trouble. Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so get away dr- with your railroading. It's such like you know, yeah. Listen, modern game design does not look friendly upon that D and D cartoon show. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dredd plays along. He comes face to face with the bridge troll as the perps take some shots at him and seems to doesn't even notice them. Um, the perp drops Dredd into a giant spider web, but the spider web doesn't stand up to high X bullets, nor do the perp, nor do the perp stand up to ricochet rounds. Uh, Dredd makes his way to a maintenance tunnel, of course, got to get in these air ducts and is on the hunt <laughs> for the perps. One is dead, but two remain and are now planning on killing David, the kidnappee. Luckily, Dredd arrives just in time. He shoots one perp, 
and kicks another into an Iron Maiden. That's two Iron Maiden deaths this episode. Oh, man, I'm I'm stoked. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Dread, uh, the... Uh, David is free and the day is saved. I guess the perps worked worked at this game center, I guess. But in the end, I think we all know Dread is the only real dungeon master. <laughs> Do what he says or he'll drop a boulder on you. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, so it's a pretty straightforward story. Um, as a seasoned D&D player myself, that detracts a bit from it. Right, because you always think you know too this, much. this yeah. does not seem quite right to me. But the artwork by Arthur Anson, you know, you're in for a treat. Absolutely, yeah. This is his. Um, this is this is early work in 2000 AD for him, so it's great to see it. Yeah, and I love you know he, again. Like I said, he draws the, the the judges in this very subdued way. It's actually a really interesting change going from Ian Gibson's exaggerated dread styles to Ranson's like subdued ones. Actually, like it's kind of a yeah. Uh, like it's an interesting stylistic change as to all the different ways you you can draw dread, I guess. Especially because sort of it's in color as well. So you've got yeah. realistic but bright yellow and gold uniform. Yeah, from sort of a, a black and white exaggerated one. Yes, it's it, it's interesting stuff, I think, just sort of as we've as we're going through in the years, just sort of, you know as you go through two thousand eight, I think it's really interesting just to just like I'm I, I'm thinking back to our pro, to our, our episode one stuff that we did, just sort of how the look of dread gets formalized over like the cursed earth or something. But then we we're now getting to points where it can be sort of reiterated from that, I guess. And you get all these different like artists having their own real versions of dread that are specifically plays on the existing look as opposed to each one trying to figure out what it looks like, if that makes sense. But while we're talking about Arthur Ransom, let's go to thrill six profile, Arthur Ransom and Alan Davis. So, pair of creator profiles here. Um, I appreciate at least the profiles in this annual being about people doing the the thrills we're reading. I guess, yeah. Like in the uh, in the last one, they it seemed like it was just sort of whoever was to hand because they had profiles on like Grant Morrison and Steve Yole in the in the Dread Annual as well. You know, who aren't really working on Dread at this point. So it just, to me, it just felt like it was really just whoever was at the offices at that time to like answer these questionnaires or something. Um, Ranson's top movies are uh, uh, Seven Samurai and Blade Runner. And he seems to be both a fan of American comics and and uh, continental stuff, like his top comics, Airtight Garage by, uh, by, by Mobius. Um, he's got uh, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant as his top book, which I kind of like. I don't know, uh, uh, side eye a little bit. And he's also got Ulysses in there. This guy's a reader. <laughs> yep, I do like that, Adventures of Luther Arkwright. That's on one of his comics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the 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 the, uh, the uh, Brian Talbot um um series. Absolutely. Yeah. So when that was right, so that had a bit of a checkered. I know this isn't about Brian Talbot, but that had a bit of a checkered uh, printing history. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate that in about 1987, uh, that was the first one where it actually got completed. Right. And yeah, I was about 11 years old. No, I was older than that, about 12 years old. So a little bit too young to read it. <laughs> uh, Brian Talbot was in the comic shop signing comics and said, read this. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. For this profile for Alan Davis, this one I think is more like those ones in the Dread Annual in the Dread Annual last year where I feel like he might have just been in town or something when they were assembling these. Um 
He's got a lot of American comedies as his top movies and a British stuff as TV as a TV shows. His top comics include some Silver Age X-Men stuff as well as, as uh, some daily comics and uh, classic Dan Dare. Yep, and Alan Moore fans will be aware of Alfie the same pair and Boys for the Black stuff, just because Skiz keeps getting compared to them. Yeah, the uh, yeah the non when you aren't comparing it to ET, you're comparing it to those <laughs> to those shows. <laughs> is my understanding. Um, but that this, this discussion of Alan Davis takes us to Thrill Seven. It's a mad, mad, mad world. Uh, script about Mike Collins, art about Alan Davis, letting her up Mark King. This comic first appeared in Prague 509, our episode 160, and I feel like it's just here because they wanted to use the Alan Davis profile, basically. Um, though they colored it in from when it first appeared. Um, in this one, a human stuck in a, in a war world after his exploration spaceship following a message of friendship and peace crashed into a strange city. Suddenly, they're under attack by weird monsters. The surviving two crew members keep on the move, running and fighting, until the female member succumbed to some kind of weird zombie disease. Now it's just him fighting and surviving this alien city, cursing the lies that brought him here, not realizing that actually it is a cool world full of peace and he's just stuck in a psychotic juvenile's containment facility. Yep, which we've seen on Futurama and probably a few other stories as well. That's right, yeah, where it just turns out where the uh, the Mad Max wasteland just turns out to be a bunch of kids, like, doing stuff without, um, outside of parent supervision, yeah. Yeah. Um, the version I've got, it's in black and white, so... Oh, interesting. Maybe, I don't know, I've got a scan, so it might have been yeah. either a, a colorized version or some kid... Nah, it doesn't look like some kid colored it in. That seems unlikely. No. <laughs> um. But yeah, and it's all a reprint from a future shock, so yeah, that has it, nothing to do with Judge Dredd. So no, they, yeah, that, it's it, it's it's very random. Like I said, yeah, it feels like this is just like they just had a had a question, it had a a top ten list filled out by Alan Davis. Like, well, we got to get him in some way. I don't know. Let's just toss this in here. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't think Alan Davis ever did an official Judge Dredd um, kind of picture or story. Um, I thought didn't he do um. He did that one, uh, 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 Batglider one, didn't he? Was that him? Uh, yeah, it might have been him and was it Mark Farmer as well? It could, yeah, I, I, it, it could have been because I remember because... Because, like, they were talking about having, um, like, doing an initial... Um, like, version of a... Uh, of a, of a or, n- n- sorry, not the initial one, but because that was... Um, uh, Alan Moore and uh, and uh, Brian Ballin, but there was a uh, like a second attempt before the actual Batman Judge Dredd crossover. I was going to yeah. have jo- um, Alan Davis's art. Yeah, he did the uh, the Batmugger story. That as yeah. one one dread thing, you know. So I guess super tangential, but not really. You know, he's not really a dread artist uh, uh, very much at all. It's a weird no. choice. After this, there's an ad for the uh, for the 2080 annual, which we covered earlier this week. Huzzah! Um, and this takes us to Thrill Eight: A Case for Treatment. Script robot, script robot uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant is TB Grover, and um, uh, art robot Ron Smith, learning about Tom Frame. So. 
Uh, Dredd strips down for his psych eval, which involves deep hypnosis. He's taken back to his earliest memories, which I, we, we haven't actually seen much of it up to this point. So it is kind of interesting. Um, joining the academy, excelling, working with Rico, then heading to the streets. We see Ron, Ron Smith's take on, uh, on the killing of Rico and then the more recent past. Um, it is really cool just seeing, yeah, the, uh, like Ron Smith's kind of refined Judge Dredd carrying his clone brother out of his apartment. As and it does look like he's in a different uniform to his usual Ron Smith late eighties uniform as well. Yeah, it's sort of it's a it's 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 more a version of of the McMahon original, I think, or something like yeah. that. Um Reinhardt, the psych judge, basically just says that this is the sort of stuff that happens once you've been on the street for too long. Um, he t- he talks to Judge Magruder, says if you want to keep him on the street, you'll either have to burn out his emotion centers or just keep him busy with with more complicated work. Uh, Magruder said w- wants to preserve Dredd's brain, so instead, um, he says Dredd had better prepare for his sternest test since the Apocalypse War. But first, he's going to deal with some arms dealing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't actually see that um, literal arms dealing story in this annual by uh, Brett Ewens, but he will deal with that. And then he's off to the City of the Damned. See, I, when I first read it, I never got the, the continuity actually went into the next couple of stories. But obviously, rereading it, it's really obvious. Yeah, I think I I think we caught it just because we sort of covered these the, the three in this annual and then the next story right away. So yeah. it was very much like he's going to deal with arms dealing. Oh look, there are arms, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, plus, that's just such a Judge Dread a, a a a Judge Dread pun. I think I don't think anybody's been involved in arms dealing in Mega City One when they aren't actually selling arms, like literal <laughs> arms, as opposed to guns. You know they. they yeah. That's like gun running or something. They never call it arms dealing. Yeah, this is the other thing, because when you read this and you're a child, a lot of the time, the things that you read, that's the first time you've come across some of these concepts and terms. Oh, ah, yeah. Interesting. So to you, that is what arms dealing or whatever the pun actually is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like, yeah, that that totally makes sense. It's funny, yeah, just the uh, 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 how the puns go and stuff. It's, it's how I feel with all the references to like British TV shows and stuff. It's yeah. just read where I think what um what when you're a kid you're more willing to just kind of be like, oh like that's a silly thing, or I'm just sort of having fun reading comics even if I don't get the jokes or something. Yeah. It's very much the way I feel, and it's like, oh yes, like uh, you know, here are these two city blocks crashing into each other and they're named after Coronation Street characters. Like, okay, I um yeah. I understand there might be a joke being made here, but it's not for me. That's fine. You yeah. <laughs> so apart from one or two of them, I would not have got the Coronation Street characters until I actually heard you mentioning them on Space Fed 2000. Ah, yes. Um, we're, all le- we're all learning it together. <laughs> yeah. The fear that made Milwaukee famous. You know, I first read that in the 1980s. Oh, yes. I did yeah. not know it was a pun on the beer that made Milwaukee famous until you mentioned it. Uh, yeah. It's... About a year or two ago is when I listened to that one. Yeah, that's such a uh, that feels so neat, so uh, so like a niche or so so like a, a specific thing. I feel like I, I feel like like honestly, we we taught a lot of people about that one in yeah. our show just because it's for like like uh, an American beer that doesn't even exist anymore. I don't think, or at least yeah. doesn't you, you, you use that tagline. So, so I bet it was probably John Wagner who brought that one from his youth. 
in America. Absolutely, yeah. Because I don't imagine Alan Grant would have known about it either until John Wagner came along. No, this very much feels like um, like a whole story set in Milwaukee just for that pun. And that feels yeah. like a very, a, 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 a very John Wagner kind of pun, I think. He's, <laughs> he's got these puns in him, you know? It's like yeah. puns like a, a, and then sports casting and CB radio talk are like the three – I feel like and, the three things and that sing, I – oh, yeah, songs. Yeah. And singing as well, absolutely. Although so I, that would be I, the I, hillbilly accent. <laughs> Just ace trucking, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, that's that's what John Wagner likes. We sort of we have like zeroed in some of his interests for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, on more on something more of more general interest things, let's go to Thrill Nine Mega City Sport. So you uh, told yes. me about this one, right? Yeah. So in the UK, I, uh, I think it's probably gone by now. It's not the kind of uh, newspaper, so-called newspaper I read, but there was a newspaper called the Sunday Sports, which was well known for not entirely serious headlines. And um, one of them was, let me just look it up, World War II bomber found on moon. <laughs> and I could not find a reference to it uh, when I was reading this annual. I did manage to find that. Uh, headline because it's quite easy to find that one on the internet mm-hmm. but the following week it's gone oh no <laughs> yeah which was useful because that meant that if you tried to verify whether it was really there or not it wasn't there anymore and that's what they said These um, mysterious bombers yeah yeah but basically it's about half of the so-called newspaper was that kind of story and then the second half of it was actually sport ah and yeah that, that's what this is riffing on when it says justice department h wagon found on moon oh excellent yeah that's a cool i mean that is funny that that yeah it's a it's a cultural reference specifically yeah for me it just kind of seemed like like again this sort of yeah me, me bring into it just seemed like a lot of like uh like a trashy news tabloids that we have a, that that we have a fair amount of in in the states like the weekly world news or the national Enquirer, or even like uh like the new york post which had a headline i i really like that or had a really famous headline uh headless body in topless bar you know <laughs> that's just like trying out to have the craziest possible um um news headlines yeah it's funny though because in the future of uh of a uh, judge dreda and h wagon on the moon doesn't really seem like that out of the ordinary like you know yeah <laughs> Like it could just be there from from Luna City or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's an H wagon on the moon. There's a squirrel eating golf balls. A lady had her brain removed to stop her eyes from bulging out. Um, there's an an alien peeping Tom, and there's a comic strip where a ditzy comic strip lady gets busted again. A yeah. a busted a. Um. <laughs> and she's from Sam Fox Block. I don't know if you know who Sam Fox is. I've definitely heard the name. She's like a starlet or a singer or something, right? She became a singer, but that was ah. after she was, I think, a 16 or 17-year-old topless model in the newspapers. <laughs> of course. Of course. Which, yeah. <laughs> and Sam Fox Block, I think, is also one of the blocks in the Blockmania game from Games Workshop. Oh, nice. Along with Sliced Alone Block. Oh, of course. Yeah, I got to have these, have these references for sure. Yeah. Uh, all the all the photos in this are were drawn by Jeff Anderson and do a good job of looking kind of like a newspaper as well. Because a pretty yeah. good job here. But it does miss out the TV listings which we've had in a few of the previous ones. Def, yeah, I feel like I forget which annual last year also had like one of these um, 
uh, uh, tabloids with yeah TV listings and other sort of like you know slice of life Mega City One things and stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, you know, yeah, I, I I guess it's it's just a lot of work to think of a days of of a, of a Mega City One TV. You know, it's hard to blame them. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, speaking of uh, life in Mega City 1, we go to Thrill 10, a question of judgment. So, script about Alan Grant and, and or John Wagner and Alan Grant's team Grover. I about Ron Smith, I about Tom Frame. So now we're back in 387. Got these time jumps here. Yeah. <laughs> so, the got- first time I read this, I would not have read The Apocalypse War. So, for me, The Apocalypse War was just this thing that had happened in the past and caused Mega City to be the way it was now. Mm-hmm. But I've never actually read it myself. So, yeah. Oh, that's, um, Bonnie, yeah. Bonnie, the brain in a robot, she was a victim of falling into a rad pit and the puppets war. Oh, yeah. yeah so I, I was over familiar with there, all yeah. of the kind of after effects of the war, but not the war itself. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the um, it, it's such a, I mean, you're just getting to it now on your, uh, on your prog slog. But yeah. yeah, it's such a, su- such a big part of this. I mean, I guess of, uh, of all of Judge Dredd, because I know they've been bringing it up a lot recently in the, uh, in, in, in the current progs, just this big signpost in the history of Dredd that, that just comes up so much and explains all these random things that happen in the city and stuff. Um, I love this uh, apocalypse parade just because it's so like jingoistic and stuff. You got these giant mushroom clouds with bodies flying out of it. Um, lots of floats calling for more wars and more apocalypses <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, let's keep going. Um, Dredd's here to work crowd control and talk to the judge that did his rookie eval, Judge Morph. So, like, Dredd is to Morph as, like, Judge Giant or Judge Decker, say, is to Dredd himself. Um, he's got a white mustache and he's got a very gleeful, crime-stopping attitude, which I think is pretty great. Um, it's, not he, the, it's not like Judge Dredd, is he? No, he's just whapping these guys with a smile on his face, you know? <laughs> Uh, Dredd talks about a recent case where he killed a perp instead of disarming him, and he's starting to doubt his judgment and his place in the world of Mega City One. Dredd says that, sure, listen, you could spend some time, like, doing some some soul-searching and take a break from the streets and work a desk or something, but he just suggests getting some tight boots instead. If your boots are a size or two too small, they'll focus, that's all you'll focus on, instead of your doubt about ethics and you know, justice in Mega City One. Yep, there's no time to doubt in Mega City One. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just, it's great just how all this uh, philosophical discussion and stuff is being done as they yell at parade onlookers and like arrest them and beat them up and stuff like that, you yeah. know? It's all very, very casual violence as they sort of talk about these deeper stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dread's skeptical about this at first, but he does indeed get the boots. And then later, Judge Morph would uh, rat him out to uh, Magruder and things like that yeah. as well. You just you can't be as, you as be we careful. found out in the first story that was published in this uh, ah. reprint trilogy. Times come unstuck. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why it was printed out of order, but it does mean that you get the punchline at the end instead of uh, yeah. sort of at the end of the first chapter of three. Yeah, just getting on, getting his boots heading out. Absolutely. Yeah, and we get a rare Judge Dread smirking face. I think there was actually a letter about that in a nerve center a few weeks yeah, after it was yeah. shown. There were like, yeah, complaints about Dread smiling. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> but yeah, awesome. Oh man, I love this series. Just, you know, Dread having doubt, I think, 
really yeah, changes his character. it's just not normal for him, is it? Absolutely. Um, oh, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of things that are normal, oh my gosh, layup, awesome. Hey, <laughs> alley oop, uh, Thrill Eleven, Radical Cheek, Script Robot, Peter Milligan, Art Robot, Jamie Hewlett. Um, I'm pretty interested in this one just because J- J- Jamie Hewlett's a really interesting artist. And Peter Milligan's like the most writerly of 2080s current writers, if that makes sense. Like he's a guy who I who I I'd trust the most to take me through a tech story, I suppose. Like maybe him and John Smith are sort of the top two yeah. like text on the page sort of 2080 writers right now in uh, 89. Did Alan Moore ever do any tech stories for 2080? Don't I don't think so. I know you know he did a bunch of actual comics in these annuals. But I don't think he ever wrote anything, no. as I recall. I, I know Neil Gaiman wrote something, but I yeah. forget. Yeah, but, but, but I don't think Alan Moore did. Um, I don't know. But um, so this story's written in Max Normal's Hoojipaluji uh, street patois. So good times. Uh, it's <laughs> the day of the Max Normal fashion show, and Dred's giving Max the business. It seems his followers have been causing troubles, doing a rash of criminal activity, robbing banks and stuff all over the city. Max has to get the evidence that leads to their arrest by the in 24 hours or he'll be in trouble himself. Max investigates and finds a dude wearing a fake Max Normal suit. No. Oh, no. Counterfeit fashion is the worst. It seems someone's counterfeit in his fits, so he follows this guy. And soon he finds the man behind the crime, the godfather of fashion, Scarface Gautier. (laughs) (laughs) Max phones it it into Dredd, but then gets caught. And Max waits for Dredd to save his bacon as Gautier puts him on a printing machine and threatens to crush Max into a psychedelic t-shirt. The horror. (laughs) Luckily, he then gets to monologuing and stuff, so Dredd arrives and saves Max, and eventually Max takes out Gautier with his umbrella, and the day is saved. There's also a, a, a razor blade cravat involved as well. Let the fashion roll on! <laughs> Just some fun Max normal stuff, and I like um, yeah. the, way, the, the way Hewlett um just max being like you know pressured by dread and having to like think about things and stuff like that very very angry smooth max normal here you know yeah I'd, at the end uh dread basically says oh yeah you go after the kingpin and i'll take care of this stuff i don't think that's the kind of thing dread would actually do but it's max normal setting it so yeah it's dangerously close no, to vigilantism to be yeah, honest i think it's an unreliable narrator man i feel like if anybody's going to be unreliable, it's Max Normal. You know, I mean, he's uh, he, the information he gives reliable, but the uh, the way he tells it might not be. You know, yeah. we don't know how much of this, how, how much of his actual uh, Shuggy days, days of Shuggy Star are real and not. You know, it could be anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess let's finish things off. Let's start with Thrill Twelve Profile Jeff Anderson. Uh, more profiles. Here we go. Um, Anderson has It's a Wonderful Life and Alien as his top movies, which is a broad choice. And um, the very standard mid-80s comics choices, top comics choices of Watchmen, The Dark Knight, Warrior in 2000 AD. Yeah, you know. Watchmen appeared on one of the other lists earlier as well. It definitely shows. I mean, it, it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, as always. But on the 2000 um, AD forum, uh, there's a thread. I think it's along the lines of where dust goes to gather. So it's pictures of people's... Uh, comic storage facilities <laughs> and bookshelves 
and mm-hmm. Watchmen appears on just about every shelf somewhere. Yeah, I know it's on mine. Like yeah, it's very it's much well. a uh, like it's it's uh, it's like a it's it, it's a tentpole you build around. Yeah, even more than in a comic like, uh, Batman killing joke. Which is probably on quite a lot of bookshelves, but Watchmen seems to be everywhere. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's and because Watchmen is like its own big thing. Like, like I have Killing Joke, but it's part of a uh, of a collection of like Alan Moore DC things, you know. Oh, so okay. yeah. it's not it's not on its own on the shelf, you know. But yeah, it's very much like yeah, you kind of <laughs> yeah, like everybody's got that, and like I don't know, like the Catcher in the Rye or something like that. Yeah. You just got to have it for your for your bookshelf. It's where you start, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's get some more Jeff Anderson action with Thrill 13, Brothers in Arms. And it's back to Tariq Ali. Or except this one's Tariq Ali yeah. Ali instead of Tariq Ali. Yeah, I wonder if that's just a uh, you know difference in signage or something. <laughs> yeah, because this one would have been written a few years after that other one. That other yeah, one was a reprint yeah. from a Daily Star. So that one was probably about three or four yeah. years old by this point. Yeah, it's from 87. This one was probably so yeah, like I think it's just early 89, I think. Yeah, I think it's just a new pun that they didn't realize they'd already done. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many <laughs> so many pun options that it's hard to know, especially because they, they, they probably aren't writing them down that much. Yeah. Although there is some, some overlap things. I don't know. Like, I feel like... Um, what there was like some eating contest that was also in a block that like the warlord was in or something like that 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 guy that that sold carpets yeah um but anyway uh, script, script robot Alan Grant art robot Jeff Anderson like about Stella um we're at we're we're back as you say at Tree Alley Alley um you know named for the uh, political writer. A man reflects that he's never killed anybody when suddenly a second set of arms comes out of his chest and starts strangling him. They're looking for a victim, and it seems one has just arrived. The man doesn't want to do this, but Dread arrives on the scene and um, to, in, in time to stop this guy's lower arms from strangling a random citizen to death. Dread calls it in, and the man's taken into custody. He's Ernst Hemingway. Oi! Is, yeah, Eliza Doolittle for, for <laughs> uh Ernest Hemingway. He's not a mutant like Dredd assumed. He's just got, he's had the arms grafted on for fashion purposes, which they figure because he's also got a second navel and nipple noses, which I'm kind of disturbed by, to be honest. Like, are they ornamental? Can he smell out of his chest? I don't know. Um, but so Dredd wakes him up and ex- and the man explains um, the arms were making him kill. Dredd seems to believe him and investigates. He gets the arms fingerprints printed and then goes to Recyc to get some answers, namely how the arms of a murderer got out of Recyc and, gra- and grafted onto some fop. Uh, the administrator of Recyc takes him to some pole men working the conveyor belt, but they but they attack Dredd with their poles and run. Oh, no. They knock a guy telling jokes off a stairway as they go, breaking his neck and killing him. Dredd tells them to halt. They ignore him and try to jump the belt, but instead fall and end up landing on the landing on it. Oh no! Before they can do anything, the recycle machines are upon them, ripping their teeth out and God knows what else. Oh, those machines are real terrifying. And it's finally all wrapped up, except for Ernst, who might not be guilty of murder, but does. Um, oh, sorry, he's not guilty of murder due to some weird Mega City law where they believe where they go through that whole like. Uh, 60s horror movie possessed limbs kind of thing we, like oh like if you had a yeah which we also saw with uh pug ugly and the bucklers that's right yeah with, with, yeah or uh, or uh, the hand in uh in new eagle 
where if you if you get a if you get a, a an organ transplant from a uh, from a killer, then he, it forces you to kill. Yeah, and you can just get off get off scot free if that's the case, I guess. <laughs> but Amingway's still going into the cubes because he's getting two years. For handling stolen goods. Oh. oh <laughs> Real ultra pun there. Excellent. And that's the last page of the annual. So that's what you leave the annual with. That pun. G- gotta go strong. Gotta get yeah. these puns out as you finish up. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Sheridan of the Backprog Slog Blog. I must know. What were your top and bottom thrills for this annual? The 1990 Dread Annual. So a top... For the artwork above all else has to be Arthur Anson on The Dungeon Master. Absolutely. And bottom, I think because... So I I don't automatically have anything against text stories, so I try to see the best in sure. text stories. But the idea that Justice Department would handle out their lawmasters to anyone in the garage, mm-hmm. and also because it had James Bond and that just had nothing to do with the story apart from distracting yeah. us. It's got to be roll on justice for the bottom. Absolutely. So I, 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 I didn't ask you ahead of time, but um, I, in your blog, you do a grail page and a grail quote. Do you have a, did you think about that for this one or am I putting you on the spot? I'm sorry. If so. uh, I had not thought about it. I think one of the grail pages is going to be Arthur Ransom. So grail page, I of course stole from Mega City Book Club. Yeah. From Mega City Book Club, of course. Um, it will be, I think, the one where Dredd is going across a chasm and it looks a bit like Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, maybe. Nice. Yes. I, I think you're talking about yeah, the troll and stuff. Absolutely. No, actually, no. I'll go for the first one where you first get Dredd on a lawmaster going through the streets. Yeah, so that's page two oh, of the Dungeon Master. Nice. Yeah. R- Ransom does a really um, detailed lawmaster. That, that's a great choice for sure. Yeah. And quote-wise, I had not. I think I'd have to oh, that, yeah, go fine. through sorry. the whole thing again to get a quote from it. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have thought of that. And no for you, what are your top and bottom page? Uh, not top and bottom pages. Try that again. For you, what are no. your top and bottom thrills? Oh man, um, I think I might actually just uh, join you. I think th- th- those are good choices. I like this Dungeon Master story. I enjoyed Arthur Ranson's work. Um, and yeah, just sort of this thing. And, you know, Dread in a fantasy environment is pretty different from um, other Dread stories. It's funny, actually. I, I just realized, um, I think the last annual had this Ascara story where he fought a vampire. And that ended in like a Hall of Horrors as well. So it feels like something uh, that's coming up a lot. Costa del these annuals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that that feels like a uh, like now it's an annual trope for Dread just having to walk through a strange situation. But I like this one of just Dread dealing with these very tropey things of a bridge troll and a big you know falling into a big spider web. That's always a cool comic convention and yeah. things like that. So that that's pretty good. And that's and one yeah, of the I things you would actually get in a game of D and D as well. Into oh web. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a whole spell. You know, it's a key one. Yeah. Um, and. <laughs> I agree. Roll on justice. Not a great tech story, just because there feels like it feels like it do- the setting, like, like the setup doesn't make sense, and there's money on the table with some puns and stuff yeah. like that. Um, for um, for my grail page, I think I would pick actually um, the first page of uh, of Dungeon Master, which is just this very 
like it feels like uh, Mega City One, but also like Hill Street Blues or something, where it's just kind of guys in judge uniforms sitting in office chairs, like talking about um, do, um, um, doing stuff. It just it, it's it's got a very like it's it's got a mix of the sci-fi and the standard that I think is really interesting. Yeah, we don't often and- see. Uh, Judge Dredd's desk, but I think every time we do see it, you've got a ransom note come across it. Because isn't that how yeah, the Invisible Band started as well? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's very. Yeah, he only he's only at the desk to receive crime based mail. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> he always gets uh, paperwork handed off to junior judges. Yeah, so he, know, he never do does the himself. paperwork himself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and for my for my grail quote, it's got to be this uh, two years for handling stolen goods. That's an excellent excellent pun. You know, I was yeah. de- I was denied it with with him not doing the arms stealing story. I'm you know, going I got to go guy. for the cover line now. Uh, an officer you can't refuse. Ooh, yeah, that's it's classic yeah. for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> cool. All right, awesome. Well, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com, the 2000 forums, or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, look up Space Spinner 2000. You'll find us there. Sheridan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for hosting me. Oh, you know, absolutely. Listen, everybody, you know, I feel a kinship to anybody who's going through. <laughs> these progs or anything British comics actually like the where equals dare boys or something like that where it's just like listen we're sort of talking about the we're, we're going through these comics with a fine tooth comb and there's a level of camaraderie there that doesn't exist anywhere else on, on in the world I think um so can you tell us uh where to find the uh back part the back prog hack yep so it's Sheridan wild with the on the end dots wordpress.com and I try awesome. to and I'll link to that I, I try oh, to good. update it every day um there have been one or two times when I've not managed to do that. But yeah, generally it is every single day. And it will be progs, it will be magazines once that starts. It will be specials and annuals. I'm somehow going to do the games, like board games, which I think I'm oh, getting nice. in about a month's time. There's going to be the Judge yeah. Dredd board game from Games Workshop. So basically everything I have, I will cover at some point. That's awesome. Absolutely. I th- I'm 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 looking forward to it. Like, like I said, it's one of my you know I I read it almost every day, and uh, it's 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 one of my favorite pro- uh, blogs. It's great just getting you know an, another perspective on this stuff that we've talked about so much on on a space spinner. Yeah, thanks, and appreciate the shout outs as well as always. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So come back next, and, and, and I'll link to the blog on, on in the show notes for the uh, for the episode as well. Uh, come back next time as we gear up for a big jumping on issue by first clearing the decks of as many black and white strips as possible. Uh, Judge Anderson deals with a with a prophet. We'll complete the Isagiri variations and part one of the final solution. Dread deals with monkeys and Rottweilers. Beyond Zero takes flight, and the future shocks are fast and furious. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Sheridan, we are Space Spinner 2000, Splunky